Well, we are in a series uh, through the book of James uh, called Check Yourself. Uh, wanted to remind us, as James is reminding us in his letter, to uh, look into the mirror of God's word as he shared in uh, chapter one that um, the word is something that we look into intently to be changed, to be transformed, to make sure our lives are aligning with God's will for our lives. Last week, Will talked about playing favorites and said God does not play favorites, so neither should we. So this idea that it's anti-gospel, it's anti-Christ, it's anti-God to play favorites. Um, and he said no good comes from playing favorites, and he said mercy gets the final word. Um, so this idea that, uh, again, the gospel of Jesus shows us that um, grace for all. It's not earned. It's not uh, achieved. It's not paid back. And so there's no favoritism with the grace of God. And so as we um, try to live like Jesus, and the character of Jesus is to be manifested through us and displayed in us, we shouldn't play favorites. And that mercy gets the final word, just as in the cross um, with our lives, we should show mercy and not play favorites or be um, judgmental in that way. Today we turn to uh, trash talk, or the subject of what James describes as taming the tongue. Are our words building up or tearing down? And in light of Jesus, I think we know which we should see more of in our lives. This is a topic, though seemingly basic, um, that we need to review constantly. And we'll look at why that is this morning. There's a popular statistic that I've heard, uh, I think, more than once, it's been circulating for years, saying that women use about 20,000 words per day, while men use about 7,000 words per day. And while it's easy to embrace, and maybe easy to believe that this is true, and there's some stereotypes within that that we can say, oh yeah, that's for sure, it's actually not a very accurate statistic. It's not clear if any real study was even done to reach that conclusion, uh, but there was research done later in response to this stat and the results may or may not surprise you. Researchers with the University of Arizona did a study and found that while women use an average of about 16,000 words per day, men use just under 16,000 words per day. So while men do use less words per day, it's not that much less than women use. There was a side note, interesting study on kind of the content of the words that were used. Uh, as women tend to use uh, way more pronouns and talk about people, um, men use, tend to talk about like statistics and numbers and stats, sports, that kind of stuff. So um, today's not about that, but just the idea that um, before all the men sit back and say today's a message for the ladies because they have a problem with gossip and talking too much, this message is for everybody because we all use about 16,000 words per day. Uh, some of us less, some of us many more. Uh, but on average, men and women use about the same amount of words per day. James is challenging each of us, right? Not just the ladies, not just the men, to check ourselves in the mirror of God's word, just like every message in this series and every uh, chapter or topic in the letter that he wrote. This is not a message for them, whoever them might be, right? We hope that each week we're looking at ourselves in the mirror of God's word. In fact, James opens today's passage saying that if anyone doesn't mess up with their words, they're a perfect person. So if you're perfect here today, then you don't need to listen. But everybody else, uh, let's dive in. Let's look at what the Bible says about trash talk in James chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 12. He writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into our mouths of horses, into the mouths of horses, that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now James has already told us that we need to be slow to speak in chapter 1. But now he dives deeper into the subject of speech because it's such a huge part of our lives. So big a part of what we do day in and day out, communicating with other people. And unlike some of the things that we do day in and day out, there's a special emphasis here on how we use our words, and it's for good reason. And it's the reason behind point number one, which is this. We should consider the power of our words. We should consider the power of our words. You probably have heard that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me or hurt me. But, and this would not surprise Danielle, I remember a line from an old movie that I saw as a kid, and I don't think I even saw the whole movie. I had to look up the name of it. It's called The Binnaker Gang from like the early 80s. Um, I remembered the actor, so I was able to look up the quote in the movie. In it, there's a scene where the older brother, he's consoling one of his younger siblings who's been teased at school, I think, and he says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words hurt worse than ever. This twist on the familiar adage has been used in other places, but it's, uh, obviously it's stuck with me, which I think is another testament to the power of words for all these years, because it rings so true. Words have power that we often don't recognize. Power to encourage, power to dismay. Words can make or ruin someone's day in an instant and then continue to do damage as they repeat in our minds, playing on an endless loop as we wallow in that, or overanalyze and sometimes uh, misassign the motive that someone says. Maybe we even misunderstand what someone meant, and we beat ourselves up with those words. Words can keep us going in tough times. Maybe something we heard a long time ago can motivate us. Um, If you saw The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, every little thing, I took offense to that, um, became kind of a joke, a running joke, that somebody would look wrong at him, and he would say, I took offense to that, right? And so it motivated him to become the greatest basketball player of all time. But words can also eat us up forever, or they can motivate us. 
James uses some vivid word pictures here, which I think is another testament to the power of words, as he's describing the strength of our words, the influence of our words. First, he compares the power of speech to how a bit controls a horse or a rudder steers a ship. He says a tiny bit controls a big horse and a small rudder guides large boats. Even though our tongues or our mouths or our speech are a relatively small part of our bodies, they have huge influence. Think back on your life to this day. Can you think of a phrase or a talk, a conversation that reoriented your whole life or changed the direction of your life? A message that was passed on to you from a parent, a friend, a boss, a teacher. Those you're destined for greatness moments or those you'll never amount to anything moments. Something you couldn't shake, either good or bad. This is the power of words. Entire wars have been fought over words. Entire movements have rallied around words. Consider MLK's I Have a Dream speech or JFK's inaugural address. Our words can inspire, motivate, give life, especially as believers who can, with our words, teach, correct, encourage, and so on by passing on the truth of God's word with our speech. But our words can also tear down, discourage, and destroy. James compares the tongue to a fire, and he writes about the immense amount of damage that can be done from a small flame. In 2020, a single pyrotechnic from a gender reveal party started a wildfire that went on to destroy close to 23,000 acres, five homes, and 15 other buildings, and even took the life of a firefighter while injuring a dozen more. This is the impact that James is driving us towards. He uses these really vivid pictures to describe for us the huge influence, and he speaks negatively, right? He's speaking about the danger, the destruction that can unfold from words that we may not be giving much thought to. Because it's not just the power of the words, it's often the carelessness and the instability that accompany our unchecked words. He writes that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He says it cannot be tamed and is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yowza. Not high praise for our speech here. But James knows how destructive we can be with our words. And he's reminding us of our sin nature, this flesh that's in us that sets itself against the Spirit of God. So that if we leave our words unchecked, if we speak carelessly or intentionally harmfully, all kinds of evil can work its way into the minds of others, and it will not have the effect that the words of a Christ follower should have. Which leads us to the second point. Now that we've touched on the power of our words, we only need to consider the power of our words because of this second point, which is we need to consider the audience of our words. Consider the audience of our words. Look at verse 9 again. James brings up the hypocrisy that is evident in our speech by pointing out who our words are directed toward. On the one hand, our Lord and Father, and on the other hand, people who are made in the likeness of God. So our audience is either the God of the entire universe, who is all-powerful, all-holy, just, perfect, righteous, or people who bear his image. This is completely intentional, as James narrows down this audience to these two groups, 
Because what God has given us and what James is writing about here is the reminder that if God is worthy of and deserving of all praise, which we offer with our words, then there is some degree of disrespect that, this, that should be given to the people around us. This is a great thing to keep in mind, not just with our words, but how we think about and treat others as well. Every person, every person has been created in the image of God and is an image bearer. Some reflect this image of God much more prominently than others, but there is no human who has ever lived that did not bear God's likeness in some way. How does this truth affect the way you think, feel, and speak about others? How can you let this truth transform how you speak to others? What if our words were used to shine the spotlight on the image of God, to try to kind of polish that reflection of God in someone, because everyone bears that image? Instead of trying to put people in their place or talk about them like characters in a reality TV show, when we relegate people to merely characters, we start to establish kind of heroes, villains, people we like, people we don't, who we're rooting for, who we're rooting against, who deserves this and who deserves that, instead of seeing them as people, as image bearers. When we do this, it's because we've lost sight of the fact that every person in the world is an image bearer of God. And side note, this is much easier to forget when we're talking about people in their absence. We say things often that we wouldn't ever say in their presence. I think this is partly because when we're in the presence of other people, we're face-to-face with another image bearer. And there's a little bit of that reflection, that mirror of fault-finding in front of us. And it's hard to do when there's someone standing in front of you because you start to remember, oh, I'm a person too, and I'm imperfect too, but I'm made in God's image too, and they're made in God's image. And so when they're not around, it's a lot easier to talk about them, right? As if we're not like them. Uh, I saw a video online recently of, a, a, I think, the owner of two dogs. I think they both belong to the same person. Just sitting on a couch. There's this giant, like, Rottweiler over here. And then a little, it wasn't a chihuahua, maybe like a pug or something. And so the owner's kind of holding it. And the pug is like, like, snapping at this giant dog who's just, like, barely even awake, like doesn't even consider what's happening. And the little dog is just, and so the owner just kind of goes like this and sets the little dog right next to the big dog, and he shuts up real quick. He's like, and he kind of like walks back over to where he was, and the owner picks him up again, and he starts barking again, right? Like, let me at him, let me at him. And he's like, okay. And then, oh, yeah, I was just kind of talking about him. I was just talking trash, right? Didn't really going to do anything about it. I wasn't going to back it up. That's us, right? We'll talk all day about somebody. But then it's like, oh, why don't you go talk to that person about that issue? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's uh, maybe, uh, you know, we start to kind of soften our words a little bit. We have a lot to say about people when we think there aren't consequences for our words. But let this be a reminder. We need not only consider our audience, but the subject of our words. Same truth applies. We're talking about or to image bearers. Our call to worship this morning from Ephesians 4 says our speech should build up and give grace to those who hear us. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. We extend the grace of God through our speech. Our words should not be characterized more often than not, I'm sorry, should be characterized more often than not by grace. 
This is the overarching purpose of our words as believers in Jesus Christ, to glorify God directly as we sing to him, as we pray to him, as we speak his praises and speak of who he is, his character, but also to extend grace to others. Obviously, we'll have conversations, we'll use words that are more uh, utilitarian, just kind of practical, just, you know, neither good nor bad, just kind of neutral. But God has given us this great power in our words to edify, to build up, to encourage, to praise him, to bless. So we need to be intentional, we should be careful, and we should be mindful. Imagine your mouth is a flamethrower to use James's idea of picture of fire. Are you going to use that flamethrower to start out of control, destructive wildfires, forest fires? Or are you going to use that fire to bring comfort and warmth and light wherever you go? Now, if you're really struggling to be someone whose speech is marked by grace, then this final point should help. Our third and final point is this. We should consider the source of our words. Consider the source of our words. So we consider the power, we consider the audience, we consider the source. James refers again to the hypocrisy in our speech when he says that both blessing and cursing come from the same mouth and that this should not be. And why shouldn't it be so? Because freshwater springs don't spew out salt water and fig trees don't produce olives and grapevines don't grow figs, fish don't fry in the kitchen and beans don't burn on the grill. Sorry, I that's just where my mind went. I was like, but that's not in the scripture. Uh, it does say that fresh water doesn't spew out salt water. Fig trees don't produce olives, and grapevines don't grow figs. The source, the purpose of what is producing the fruit doesn't produce fruit that is unnatural to its source. He's challenging us as disciples of Jesus to recognize that if our hearts have been made alive by and are now sealed in the Holy Spirit, then our speech should be in step with the Spirit. We who were not able to bear the fruit of the Spirit apart from Christ should now be known by the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is the source within us, then the product, the produce, the fruit of our speech that flows from us should be marked by Him as well. Jesus said it like this in Luke 6, 43 through 45. Very similar to what James repeats here in chapter 3. Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our words are the overflow of our hearts. So any life-giving words of grace that come out of us are fruit of the Spirit within us. And the destructive, fiery words that we speak are products of evil, which is the inclination of our hearts without Jesus. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we can speak as we should. Remember, James said no human being can tame the tongue. There's much to unpack in what he did not say, and that is while no human being can tame the tongue, the God of all creation certainly can tame the tongue. He reminded Moses of this back in Exodus 4 when Moses kept giving excuses as to why he could not carry out the mission that God was calling him to. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? 
Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, this is God speaking to Moses, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And Jesus gives the exact same type of encouragement to his followers in Luke 12, 12. He says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and I believe still today, the Spirit teaches us what to say. The question is, are we listening? The question is, are we learning? Are we good students of the Spirit who is teaching us what to say? Are we paying attention and learning. That's, I think it's interesting that he says teaches, right? He doesn't, he doesn't just give you the words to say. He teaches you the words to say. Training you in wisdom to understand, to discern what words are helpful and life-giving and will give grace to the hearer. Or do we draw from the well of our flesh when we speak? Are we tearing people down? Giving them destructive phrases to replay in their minds for years to come? while also giving Jesus a bad name as well. If the Spirit is the source of our words, then they will have the God-glorifying effects that they're meant to have. And our speech will be marked by grace. And we'll be the kind of people who build up with our words, and our encouragement will be what sticks with people for years to come, all to the glory of God. So we need to consider the power of our words Consider the source of our words. Consider the audience of our words. Because as James says, we can set ablaze an entire forest just trying to be vengeful or spiteful or angry. Or we can give grace. We can give life. We can build up with our words only by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be a people who are marked by grace-giving speech. That our words uh, would not be um, double-minded as we read in your word. That we wouldn't, out of one side of our mouth, sing your praises and bless you. And out of the other side of our mouth, um, talk trash about someone or gossip about them. Or even to their face, tear them down or discourage them but that as we speak the truth, we speak it in love. That as your word tells us to, yes, speak the truth, but to do it with a gentle spirit. God, for those of us, myself, I speak to myself, that those who like to be right and on the side of truth, God, that you would, you would uh, humble my, my words, my responses, my, my spirit behind what I say that I wouldn't be trying to, to win points for myself, but if I'm speaking truth, that is to, to glorify you, to point people to you, that it's done in the character of Christ. Help us, God, to, to speak words of life that come from your word, that come from the source of the Spirit within us. God, kind of on the, on the other side of all this, if, if we are still struggling, if we're still replaying words that have been said to us that are damaging or abusive or just, um, just evil, just wrong, God, that you would help us to, to move past those messages, that we would, we would hear your truth louder than those voices. 
God, as I mentioned earlier, as sticks and stones might break our bones, but words sometimes hurt worse than ever. We can replay these moments in our minds, affecting the way that we live, affecting our, our confidence in you, affecting uh, how we see ourselves in light of the gospel. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to, again, hear your voice, your truth above all other voices. And in turn, God, that we would speak, we would speak truth, we would speak life, we would speak good news of salvation. God, that we would not be uh, freshwater springs that are, that are spewing out salt water, but that would be marked by the character, the grace, the love of Jesus. When we speak to people, when we speak about people, we'd be known for building up and not tearing down. Only by your grace, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.